Let's start with a familiar sight, the menu of movie and TV show posters in front of you on your favorite streaming platform. Maybe it's Netflix, HBO Now, or Amazon Prime. You look at the posters and raise your remote to click. Now let's pause. On the one hand, you've never had so many choices. On the other hand, consider that array of posters you're looking at is actually totally unique. You're seeing that exact arrangement because of the data you're feeding the system every day. Even the actors' faces you're seeing on those posters are being specifically targeted just for you. Netflix may choose to put Angelina Jolie on the poster image in front of one person, but put Brad Pitt on the same poster in front of another person. Billions of data points are flowing backwards through the pipeline, informing with greater and greater clarity the green light decisions studios are making. Are we really watching our content, or is our content watching us? That's today on The Q Factor. Welcome back to The Q Factor. I'm Greg Fisher. As you may know, The Q Factor is all about seeing the world through a data-driven lens. My guests use quantitative thinking to transform various corners of the world, from politics to finance to education. And my guest today works in a field that fascinates all of us, big media. Jesse Redness is Executive Vice President of Data Strategy and Product Innovation at Turner, a key centerpiece of the new AT&T Warner Media Empire, which includes HBO, CNN, and Warner Brothers. And he's just been tapped to run the Warner Media Innovation Lab, which is looking to fuse Warner Media's intellectual property with AT&T's technology, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. All of this means that Jesse is poised right on the cutting edge of the data-driven decision-making that's going to inform our content consumption for the next generation. Here's our conversation. So my kids, you know, for them, uh, Cartoon Network app, Netflix, and Amazon Prime are their go-tos and only place where they consume video content in, in YouTube kids. Right. Um, and for them, they're doing it on any screen. Um, and they do it in a way where, and this is so funny, like a year ago, um, they were cruising through uh, one of the apps. I don't remember which one it was. And all of a sudden, a live action show popped up. And they're like, get this commercial out of, out of my face, Dad. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, 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 I want the cartoons. That's and so true. for them, you know, their experience with content was that if it's not a cartoon, then it's a commercial, <laughs> uh, even though it was a live action show. So you're just like, wow, right? right. So how these kids are actually, my kids are, are being trained in, in experiencing what content is. Obviously, it's evolving. Yes. Um, but, you know, a lot of the inspiration that I think uh, innovators and, and creators get are from the next generation. So a lot of how I'm thinking about and the team is thinking about, you know, what frames do we build out? How do we actually think about developing core products is observing how our kids are actually immediately jumping onto mobile platforms and tablets and engaging and swiping. Right. Um, I think one of the best lessons I, I learned from, from a mentor at one point, he said, if you can design it so that a four-year-old can figure out how to use it, stop because it's perfect. I started this firm, Gerstein Fisher, which is an investment management firm in the early 90s, 92, managing money using quantitative methods. Built the business with technology and systems and data. And then in November of 2016, I sold my business mm. to a bank, okay. uh, People's United Bank, which is uh, my current corporate parent. Okay. And when uh, I'm working with them, I'm now head of research and portfolio strategy for the bank. But if I got this right, I think 
you also founded a company uh, doing really innovative pioneering things in data analytics. And I think in November of 2016, you also sold your business to your current parent here. We did, we Tell did. Tell me about that. How's that going for time. you? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's actually going very well. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, Brave, which is the company that I founded with, uh, you know, two gentlemen, uh, you know, David Beck, who uh, currently is here at Turner and uh, running corporate strategy, uh, and Gary Vaynerchuk. A lot of people know who Gary is. Sure, of course. Um, you know, we'd been friends with him for quite a long time and find, trying to find a way to work together. Uh, I had come out of NBC Universal, uh, in which I was running a lot of digital product development strategy, social transmedia experiences for a few of the cable properties, um, and started getting deeper and deeper into, you know, there's a massive disruption happening in this industry right now, and I want to figure out how we can help others do that um, as a practice. Beck, Redness, and Vaynerchuk is, is actually what Brave stands for. Oh, um, interesting. So, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we were um, a, essentially a, a strategy and investment portfolio company. So we started off um, working with companies like Turner, um, CBS, and Viacom on not only helping them think through what's going to happen with this disruption, disrupting internal operations and internal practices, but also how do you think differently about creating products and platforms in this disruptive world of it's no longer just about engaging with a television to consume content. It's now fragmented across many screens. We grew very, very quickly. Uh, in about two years, and Turner was our number one client, uh, and we're very thankful for that. And, um, and and now, you know, here we are two years into the acquisition, and all the members that came over are, are still working here amongst the teams. Thinking about that, bringing us to the present, you know, it's it's roughly 2016, and then over the last couple of years, so Turner's parent company, Time Warner, is acquired by AT&T for $85 billion. You know, that's a lot. You're surrounded by a lot of other big companies, obviously, Netflix, Amazon, Disney. You know, what do you see as uh, AT&T, WarnerMedia's sort of real competitive advantage? And what might be some of the areas you believe you can really compete and win on um, as you move forward in this sort of battleground that we're all experiencing? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the marriage between AT&T and WarnerMedia is fantastic. And, and quite frankly, that's one of the most exciting things about it. It's when you look at the, the technology that AT&T provides, you know, 5G edge compute, what they're doing in the IoT space, um, the, the amount of connected cars that are powered by AT&T is staggering. Um, and, and so when you start looking at um, what we're doing as people, as consumers, like take ourselves out of the business opportunity and start looking at what we do in our everyday lives, we're constantly connected, right? So you wake up in the morning, the first thing you're probably doing is touching your phone. That's um, definitely true. Right. Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> For me, anyway. I don't right. know about everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, and nonstop throughout the day, you're constantly connected. And so whether you know, we kind of call that you know the consumer journey. So um, when you think about all the infrastructure and networking and opportunity that AT&T has developed, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of phones that they literally have out there. Um, uh, we've got the core network uh, that they're developing with 5G, um, the IoT uh, network that they've deployed out there. Um, they have developed something that when you are a content creator like Warner Media and a storytelling company, uh, you want to tell your story as wide and as far and as fast as possible in many cases. Um, and so when you bring those two opportunities together, uh, that is a great marriage that when you, when you think about Amazon and, and Facebook and others, um, they're, they're wired differently. Right. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that it's so much about a straight up competition. Um, it's all about uh, how do you make the best value and exchange and experience for consumers so that you can get their attention. 
Right. And, and that, at the end of the day, is the most uh, powerful component of how we can leverage all of our great content. Uh, how do we bring it to more touch points? How do we put it on top of what AT&T has established and built so that we can deliver directly to the consumers uh, so we can continue to deliver value for them? So let's zoom out for a second and talk about the greater relationship between data and content. Uh, A decade ago, data about Family Guy's huge DVD sales helped bring back the series from the dead. If you think about the world we live in now, where data powers the menu of choices that consumers see on their, you know, home screens, Uh you know, to what degree does data now drive this content creation, you know, this feedback loop? Yeah, so I think there's, uh, there's a lot of components to that. Um, you know, data driving content creation is a uh, it's a tough area to jump into because you've got to really talk about to what degree. I think we're we're getting to a point now where essentially, you know, you're looking at how do you take the core human element, uh, combine that with artificial intelligence, deep learning, and machine learning uh, to help optimize the craft. Um, and we absolutely have not gotten to a point where. Um, you know, data is driving how we pick shows. And, and, and quite frankly, uh, I don't think we should ever get to that point. Um, I think it should help. Uh, it should be a tool to help inform uh, the decisions about how certain things uh, get deployed uh, across the company. But the creators are the creators. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, they get to pick and choose what tools they want to use to drive their craft. So there's still a creativity to being a creator. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if, think about it this way. If you take the word uh, artificial intelligence right. and you take the first three letters of artificial, right, there you go. I look at it as art intelligence. That's great. Right. So if you think about it that way, uh, we are building platforms and tools and methodologies and algorithms to provide intelligence to the art, not to create the art. Speaking of innovation, so the Innovation Lab. Yes. Love to hear more about that. Um, I know a lot of companies around the world are doing this sort of corporate venture capital idea. You know, let's take a bunch of people, put them in a room somewhere far from corporate headquarters, give them some dough, and let them just try some stuff and hope it works out. Because if they're too close to HQ, um, maybe they won't be as innovative as if they were like somewhere else. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if that resonates for you, but tell us more about this innovation <laughs> lab. You know, how, how's, it, how's it coming together sure. for you? Um, I would say that uh, AT&T's philosophy is the exact opposite of that. They're just not handing me a bunch of dough and sticking <laughs> me in a closet. Um, Come up cool. with stuff, right? <laughs> um, I would say that, um, you know, the, the core concept of innovation is pervasive across this whole company, right? So just the very nature of what we're doing on a daily basis is driving innovation. Um, so when we talk about the innovation lab itself, um, I think it's more about how do we push the boundaries of what we're doing on a daily basis for business as usual? Um, How do we help enable, um, I guess you can say, kind of enterprise-wide experimentation R&D in a way that when you're running business as usual, you don't truly have a lot of the time uh, and a lot of the freedom and budget to go do that. 
Um, and so the, the Innovation Lab uh, is being set up uh, as a corporate-wide enterprise kind of foundational center of excellence in which we can intersect directly with all the different brands that we have at WarnerMedia from CNN and sports to HBO and WB, looking at all the different opportunities and projects that they're doing, not only for you know launching shows and marketing those shows or a movie, uh, but what they're doing in the experiential space, you know, Cartoon Network literally launching a cruise line and wow. uh, just fascinating. Fascinating things happening in all the brands all the time. But uh, there is no kind of central point of knowledge uh, that is bringing all that in and then helping to share all that information with all the other business units. Hmm. And when you start operating a system like that, you start identifying opportunities. Right. right? And so a big part of what we're going to be doing is um, essentially establishing a core council across all the key executives at this company uh, to look at a business thesis model in which we are starting to take all these inbound opportunities, starting to look at all the core crossover, starting to look at what is happening in the overall space utilization of artificial intelligence and deep learning or neural networks, uh, you know, voice activation and, and IoT and AR, VR, MR, all those cutting edge things that most people are like, oh, that's innovation. Um, <laughs> But how do you truly build it into something that consumers uh, can get real true benefit out of? How do you scale those opportunities so they're not just one-offs and cool whiz-bang press releases, but they're actually transforming how the business operates? um, and Making it real. And making it real. What do I, as a customer of yours... You know, what do I have to look forward to when I look out five or 10 years from now um, as, you know, as it relates to the innovation lab or just other interesting, fun things you're working on? You know, what, what paint the picture of the future for me? This is a place where we want to be able to showcase all of that core innovation and be able to walk our talent through, as I was saying, um, to showcase that, hey, you know what, when you come to Warner Media, it's not just about being a part of a television show or a movie. You are now going to be part of this entire cornucopia of consumer touch points that will bring you off, not just onto the big screen up there, but off the screen, onto mobile devices, into gaming opportunities, into experiential opportunities. When you look at that kind of complete consumer journey, you as a talent, you as a creator will be part of that and creating along that entire spectrum. And I think um, that is a a very unique opportunity. Uh, That is something that I think... Makes this um, a great place to want to be. Makes it a great Mm -hmm. place to want to be, to be a storyteller, to be a creator. Um, Because again, you know, when you think about where this world is going, where these opportunities are going, uh, the the amazing creators are going to see that and say, "This this is the place for me. Yeah, and it does all come down to having great people around you. Absolutely. Um, so you know that I could see why that that's an important element. We talked about culture earlier. I don't think anybody's quite figured out how to do culture and data at the same time. You know, we're still working on that. I think. I think yeah, a lot of people are still <laughs> working on that. It, you know, it's it's tough because you're you're blending so many different things. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we're doing at the lab, um, and you know, it was just announced a couple of weeks ago, is actually uh, partnering with a company called Kindred, mm. uh, which is uh, essentially a new company uh, launched by a great thinker. Amy Ian Schaefer, who had a, 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 a marketing company called Deep Focus, mm-hmm. um, and he is actually now pointing all of his brilliance, uh, you know, towards doing social good. Right? There's great. been a lot of cultural movements that have happened over the past couple of years, and quite frankly, data, insights, social platforms have helped power a lot of those. I mean, when you think about like the ice bucket challenge, yes. right? and everyone's like, how do I create the next big ice bucket challenge? Um, a lot of it is going to come down to you know, what are the causes that are for good? 
you know, how do we harness the power of technology and data and insight to help identify those things and actually push things into breakout velocity so they can have as much power as possible. And yeah. that, that for us is really exciting um, because it's not just about how do you entertain and how do you uh, grab attention from people, but also how do you have an impact to their world and their lives um, and, and really change the human condition to the point where we're doing good as well as creating good. You had said, uh, I think one of your quotes, uh, the, the, the future of consumer experience will be personalized, both participatory and passive at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you've talked a little bit about that already, but uh, I really liked that. It kind of stuck out for me because it could be both. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little more about that? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's, uh, there's a few components to that. Um, the, the participatory aspect really ties around uh, all these great engaging platforms and experiences that we're going to be developing and have developed in the past. So, you know, as we think about fandom as a whole, you know, how do you actually um, harness fandom? How do you help um, feed fandom in a way that um, these rabid you know, fans want to lean in even further into the experience? And so um, typically, you know, a television show is a, it's a one-way message. You know, you're sitting back on your couch and you're, you're consuming it. You know, social media, I think, in the early days changed that in a way that people were starting to participate by talking about it live on Twitter and on Facebook and, and blogs and forums and whatnot. And so it started becoming a, a participatory activity. Um, and at the end of the day, it has to be personalized because not everyone wants to have the tweet stream popping up on your television screen, or not everyone wants to um, use the Oculus Go VR experience that was built for one of the shows. And so you have to figure out how you develop a spectrum of opportunities and engagement products um, for the various types of fans that you have. So that's one component of it. The other component of it is is that we are moving into a world where we want to be able to dynamically deliver you the type of experience that you want uh, without having you basically pick up that Oculus Go, have to go buy it, you know, put it on and find it. Mm. So we want to take a lot of the core insights that we're getting from all the data and signals that we're picking up about you uh, and be able to dynamically change the frame of the app that you're using. Huh. So we, you know, looking at how you're browsing through um, the catalog on HBO, uh, we see that you basically skip through the hero image immediately and go right to deep catalog. What if when you open up the app, it actually jumped you right into deep catalog versus the hero? That'd image, be great. Save me right? some time. So you know, <laughs> dynamic framework is you know templates that we have and we'll work with and, and create it more of a out of a template framework into more of a liquid framework in which um, it is dynamically being served to you. Do that in a way where we're also doing that with the content experience itself. Shifting gears, you know, sports. Uh, you know, you've got one very high-profile partnership in the works with the NBA, a longtime Turner partner. Um, you know, what does your lab have planned for NBA fans? And what could the future of basketball, you know, the NBA sort of look like yeah. as it relates to viewing? The culture, you know, of NBA is massive. You know, the talent, the, the teams, the fandom around, around all of these teams um, 
how do we build more and more experiences on top of that so that the NBA, the sport in itself, is not only regulated to the time of the game, but now you're diving deep into the culture, you're diving deep into the history of the players and, uh, you know, the narrative of how these teams were built over time and different players coming in and out. Like, that's just fascinating. That's storytelling. Yes. And I think a lot of what we want to do and accomplish with that with them is how do we bring that out onto new um, and emerging platforms? How do we think about, you know, I'll make it up, uh, you know, looking at volumetric capture around the NBA court um, so that audiences at home can actually see, you know, an AR holographic rendering of the game real time on their kitchen tabletop. That would be you know, nice. That That is Maybe phenomenal. even like get in the game. And that is right around the corner. <laughs> and those are the types of things that, you know, we are sitting down with the NBA now um, looking at, you know, what their not only what their business objectives are, but what they want to do with their fans, for their fans, with their players, for their players, uh, and then translating that into a roadmap that we'll build with them. We have a tradition on the Q Factor called the three Qs. These are three questions we ask every guest, no matter what their background or expertise. Okay. One, Beyond media, where do you see big data having the biggest positive impact on the world over the next 10 years? It can be science, manufacturing, investing, philanthropy, health, climate change. Over the next decade, where and how will big data help the world the most? Yeah, I mean, again, selfishly, I want to stick to media. Um, that's Because that's what I know and love. But I kind of, uh, you know, teed it up a little bit earlier is, you know, what we're doing in partnership with Kindred Philanthropy. I think that there is a huge angle there uh, in regards to how a lot of these uh, 501c3 companies operate and um, to be able to bring a lot of core data insights, uh, big data infrastructure, decisioning around how they spend their money to market for their causes. um, That's massively powerful, right? So as much as people give on a daily basis, a lot of it goes back into getting a broader audience to pay attention to the cause and to give more money. What if we can help optimize and amplify what that is, utilizing AI and big data so that we can make a much bigger, broader impact? You know, that, that for me is, I think, one of the biggest things out there. So, too, on the flip side, you know, what aspect of the world do you see as being the most threatened by big data over the next decade or so? And uh, in what ways does big data pose the greatest threat, in your opinion? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, that's a tough one just because of the world we're in right now and what we're seeing in regards to data breaches at these massive companies. Um, I think the, the biggest threat overall really is um, companies that don't know how to handle and treat data uh, in a safe and compliant way. Um, and that in and of itself is a massive threat, right? When, when all of a sudden you've got companies that get breached and all of a sudden a few hundred million people's credit card data, social information gets out there in the wild, um, or they're breached by you know, Russian or Chinese hackers, whomever is out there, um, that's, those are massive threats. Um, so uh, it's just the world we live in at this point. And so I think it's really about the mistreatment as well as the kind of non-compliance of data is, is just a massive threat right now. Last question. So AI and artificial intelligence, friend or foe? (laughs) Uh, Friend. You know, again, I think I said it with uh, when you take the first three letters of artificial art intelligence. uh, Again, I think it's here to help, um, you know, amplify the way that we can uh, create, um, help accelerate the way that we're learning. um, And, you know, that human and technology 
you know, conjoin uh, is really what you know we're about here. You know, we want to be a software product and platform company as well as a creative narrative entertainment company too. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for being here with us, spending time with me today. Uh, it was great. I really learned a lot. You're part of something really big here. The fact that you took the time to be with us is uh, greatly appreciated. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. No, thank you. This has been great. A lot of fun. That was my conversation with Jesse Redness. Pretty cutting edge stuff. If you liked the episode, go ahead and subscribe. We have a bunch of terrific new data-driven interviews coming your way in the next few weeks. And we'd love it if you'd give us a positive review on iTunes. That's usually helpful in giving the podcast more visibility. Thanks again for listening. I'm Greg Fisher. See you next time on The Q Factor. Greg Fisher is founder and portfolio manager of Quent Capital, a registered investment advisor. Economic and market views and forecasts stated by Mr. Fisher or Quent Capital are current as of the date of this podcast and are subject to change without notice. This presentation is not intended to be a solicitation of any kind. It is for general informational purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The views of the guests that appear on the Q Factor are their own and may not reflect the views of Mr. Fisher or Quent Capital.